Well, good morning and welcome to our services today as we jump back into the book of James. Uh, like the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, James presents to us two ways of living. Uh, one is based on heavenly wisdom and one is based on human wisdom. This is a theme all through the Bible. Uh, the Proverbs is replete with it. The idea that you have to choose one of two ways to live your life. And you get to make that choice. And so we want to encourage you that you're going to make the right choice, that you are going to make the heavenly choice, that you are going to make the Christ-like choice in your life. In Corinthians, Paul makes the same contrast. And as I've mentioned, Proverbs as well. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're tired of being incomplete or tired of only seeing partially, as uh, Paul mentions in Corinthians also. Maybe you're tired of losing battles against sin. You know, I've dealt with students for about 20 years, and that's one of the things that gets people down, dealing with their sin, dealing with temptations in this world, sometimes losing and feeling defeated. But as we'll see in James, we have hope, okay? Our, our hope comes in Christ, obviously, and James points the way and how to, how to make that happen and how to be complete and mature in our lives. James also shows us how sin works within us. How unbelief unsettles all of life and how testing produces endurance. How you make prayer a waste. That's obviously not something you want to do, but we do it. And how you can become evil and judgmental in your heart and how self-centeredness causes destruction and how anger can destroy righteousness. All of these things are part of what James is talking about in this short little five-chapter letter that he wrote. He wants us to help you become a complete and a mature follower of Christ from the inside out. The book of James is also filled with imperatives. Um, this chart coming up on the screen shows all these different imperatives that are in the Bible. Imperatives are commands. And if you look at this, for those of you who are language or, or nerd geeks, you know, like I am, this shows the um, percent of imperatives in each book of the New Testament. And if you look down and you look which book has the longest bar. James does, right, right. James does, right? It goes all the way across, okay? Um, why? Because it's got the highest percent for the size of the book. It's only five chapters, all right? But it has 59 imperatives out of 1,742 words. If you look at the next slide, you'll see how these are broken up in the book of James. And you'll see that it's, it's kind of evenly. Some would argue this is kind of a chiastic structure. Uh, chapters 1 and 5 have the most, 2 and 4 next most, and chapter 3, which has the highlight and the theme of the whole book, um, right in the middle. And so what's the point? The point is that James has a lot of commands. All right? You want to know how to live your life, that's what James is talking about. Or how not to live your life, that's what James is talking about. And so as we jump into the book this morning, we will uh, review just a tad bit from, from last week, and then we'll continue in it. So let's look uh, with James uh, chapter 1. <clears throat> in James chapter 1, we read, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers. Whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And you notice that he had a couple of times he mentioned the word uh, complete in there. So if you'll just go back to that slide for a second for me. <clears throat> so when we look at this first four verses uh, with James... We talked last week about a few things, and I just want to give you a summary of that because we focused most of our time on the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Um, when you look at this, the first four verses, you could note that this is your preparation for trials. All right, the Trials are going to come. It says when they come. So you need to prepare for trials, and you prepare for them by a couple of different attitudes that you need to have. Okay, They, they are going to come, guys. And... James says, listen, just hold on, okay? This is a test, all right? A test is coming your way. And, and tests given by God are for you to pass, not for you to fail. All right, we'll get to the difference between test and temptation a little bit further in James. 
uh, probably towards our end of our, our message today. But tests come from God for you to pass. Temptations, that's a whole other situation. Okay, that might lead you to fail. But that's not from God. So these are tests, okay? It's going to strengthen you. Okay, who doesn't want to be stronger? Yeah, but here's what we don't want. We don't want the work that comes with it. You know, I would love to be stronger. But you know something? You know why I'm not? Because I don't prepare. Because I don't go test myself. Because I don't go work out in the gym. And because of that, I'm not stronger. If you want to be a stronger Christian, you know what you got to do? You got to go through tests. You got to be tried. After you're tried, you'll be stronger. And so there's three things that we talked about last week that I need to just remind you about. The first was in the first verse that we need to submit ourselves completely to God. James had said he's a slave of God. You've got to have complete submission. If you haven't surrendered and submitted yourself to God, this is not going to work. The other thing he says, which is also not going to work if you haven't first submitted yourself to God, is he says rejoice. Count it all joy. So submit and rejoice. But you are not going to rejoice if you have not first submitted yourself to God and his plan. And the third of these aspects is that you have to desire God's way. This is countercultural, guys. This is not the way the world thinks. It's countercultural. You submit yourself completely to God. You rejoice in his gifts to you and in the trials because the trials are going to make you what? Stronger. And so that you will become a complete and mature Christian lacking how much? Nothing. nothing. Do you want to lack nothing? Do you want to be stronger? Then you would rejoice in it. Why do guys that are serious about their muscle, why do they love to go to the gym? Because they get stronger. That result. Why are they always looking in the mirror? They want to see that result. Right, Cooper? I saw that. Yeah, flexing your muscles over there. Yeah, you want to see that result. Okay? You, you want to get buffed, right? You want to see those guns, right? Yeah. That's why you put up with it. That's why you endure it. That's why you go through the trial. That's why you rip those muscles and you're sore the next day. Because you see something on the other end. That's why Christ, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He could see the other side. That's why, and this is a hard thing, we have to change our attitudes, starting with me first. And we've got to get what James says, that we rejoice. We rejoice at these trials because these trials come into your life to make you stronger. All right? Now, let me reiterate. I'm not talking about temptations yet. I'm talking about the problems of life. I'm talking about when things don't work out the way you want. I'm talking about when you're trying to get hold of somebody and you can't get hold of them. I'm talking about when your car blows up in your face. I'm talking about when your life isn't going the way you want. And it wasn't because you did something wrong or sinned. What's James say? He's saying, listen, it could be persecution or it could be just human problems. They're trials. And God is strengthening you and making you complete and mature. So don't be discouraged. But you've got to desire God's way. Because otherwise, what you're going to do is you're going to short-circuit it. You're going to jump out of the loop. You're going to try to go a different way. And it's not the way that is going to make you into a complete, mature, strong Christian. It's not going to make you like Jesus. So looking at that, I said all that, and I'm going to throw up a few more slides to show you just a few things related to that. You know that James said he was a servant of God. Yep, that's what we just talked about. <clears throat> Consider trials, he says, pure joy whenever you encounter them. Mark it down, guys. If we can't do that, we're not going to get through what James says. All right? <clears throat> and then the next one was this image here that you need to really get this image into your head to see how this, how this is supposed to work in your life. That the testing of your faith that begins with the, the trials in your life. And as you endure, okay, the arrows are not showing up because our, our bulb still doesn't work right. Um, so you start on the left and you go around, trials, testing, endurance to completeness, the diamond, right? The diamond comes from the hard pressures of life, okay? A lot of pressure in the coal makes the diamond. But that's what you've got to go through if you want to be that diamond. And that's what James is saying. 
the testing of your faith. Every trial has a purpose, design, and lesson. R.T. Kendall says that. R.T. Kendall is a pastor, he's a commentator, he's well known in certain parts of the world. Every trial has a purpose, a design, and a lesson. When you think about that, James is urging us not to sweep the trial aside and miss the lesson that God has for us. There's something more important than your personal pride, and that's your Christian growth. You oftentimes, we are clueless to what God is doing in the midst of our trials. How many of you are just like, I have no idea what God's doing in the middle of this? I don't know what he's doing. I really don't like it, but I definitely have no clue what he's doing, okay? Yeah, that's like me most of the time. Like, we don't know what he's doing, all right? And so because of that, we get frustrated because we tend to be people that we, we, we believe what we can see. But what is Christianity? We believe what we cannot see because that's the essence of faith. If you can see it, you don't need faith, all right? I don't need faith to sit down in that chair, other than maybe a little tiny bit that the legs will hold me up. Okay? What I need is faith if you were to tell me that there is a chair here that I can't see. Sit on it, Kevin. I would really have to trust you and have faith. All right? And the truth is I wouldn't trust you. All right? So I wouldn't sit on it. But that's what we're talking about, what you can't see. Okay? The, the imaginary in this case, but with God it's not imaginary. You just can't see it. You've got to trust him for it. James is trying to get us to that point. And here, here's the, the sad thing. I think that most Christians miss out because they quit. You know if you quit, you can't win? Which is why winners don't quit. But quitters don't win. I want you to really think about that, okay? Because life gets hard, and we're tempted to quit. I'm tempted to quit. Winners don't quit, and quitters don't win. You can't win if you quit. You've got to stay in the race till the end. Trials bring out areas of sin in your life. They bring out the idols in your life. They bring out the secret sins and hidden attitudes and prejudices. That's what they do. And so you say... What is God doing? He's cleaning you up. He's purifying you. He's getting that purifying gold. He's getting that diamond. Now, a lot of women like diamonds. Okay? They don't all, but most of them do, right? So, do they want a diamond that's got a big black mark in the middle of it? No. I don't remember all the five C's because it's been too long since I went shopping for my wife to get a diamond, but... You know, clarity is one of them, all right? They want clarity. That means it's not all marked up with all this stuff, okay? And so it needs to be without this. God wants this junk out of our lives. And so these ideas in in James 1, especially verses 2 to 4, they fit into this whole theme of James about choosing these two ways. When we get to chapter 3, which will be a couple weeks, verses 13 to 18, that is the key of the whole book. James 3, 13 to 18. The songs that we sang today, a lot of them had a a theme about how good God was. Um, And that is specifically what we're going to talk about next week. But God's goodness is something that is very much related to these ideas. How you view God really affects how you live your life. Because if you don't think God is good... Are you going to be able to have these attitudes that we just talked about? Are you going to submit yourself to God? Are you going to trust God? Are you going to desire God's ways? Are you going to rejoice in times of trials if you don't really think that God only sends good things your way? No, you're not. But if you believe that God actually only sends good things your way or that in everything that comes, even if it looks like it's bad, he's going to do something good in you through it, if you can believe that, then guess what? Now you can start to rejoice in the trial. Because you know that even though it's not a fun time, even though it hurts, when you get done and you look in the mirror, what are you going to see? Yeah, I know you can't see them, but what are you going to see? <laughs> huh? You're going to see the result, right? The muscles, except with this case, it's spiritual, right? Maturity, growing in Christ. That's what you're going to see. 
That's why you have to stay with it. That's why. Because it's wisdom from God. It's wisdom from above. It's heavenly wisdom. It's not human wisdom. It's not earthly wisdom. Every trial has a purpose, a design, and a lesson. And you need to remember that. All right? Now, let's jump into our text for today. Start again, verse number 5. <coughs> we'll look at 5 through 8. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Now, where's this coming from? Because he just got done saying, hey, all these trials coming your way, rejoice. But you're like, what? I don't know what to do. Okay, so ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. <clears throat> An indecisive man is unstable. You can leave it there. In all of his ways. An indecisive man is unstable in all of his ways. What is the, the first thing or the next thing that James tells us to do? He says, pray. You're like, what? That's not even the text, Kevin. Where does it say pray? What do you think ask God for wisdom means? Pray. Exactly. So he says, pray. So this whole little section is about praying. So the first part was about preparing yourself, getting the right attitudes. Now it's about praying. What do you need to do in the middle of a problem? Pray. You need to pray in the middle of a problem. Why do you need to pray in the middle of a problem? Because you don't know the way out. You see, the truth is that you and me, when we get into our situations and our problems... <clears throat> We're stuck sometimes. We don't know the way out. And that's okay, because who does know the way out? Jesus does. That's right. God knows the way out. So what do you got to do? Go seek his face. You need to go pray. You need to pray and ask for wisdom. You need to ask God what to do. What should I do in this situation? So you're, you've already decided you're going to submit yourself to God. All right. You don't want to fight God, after all. But you're in the middle of this problem. You don't know what to do. You pray. You pray. Say, God, are you really going to give me what I asked for? Now, see, here's where we get a little problem. Is he really going to help me out? Will he really show me what to do? And this is where you've got to have complete trust and faith in God. So look at this little visual here. <clears throat> you ask yourself, hmm, I need help. I need wisdom. So the, the missing puzzle piece is wisdom. Wisdom, wisdom is this idea and this very practical thing of knowing what to do and being able to do it. Wisdom is about discerning in life and being able to navigate through the pitfalls and the problems of life. How do you know a wise person? <clears throat> a wise person, like when they're driving on the highway and the highway is filled with potholes and and stuff that fell out of trucks in front of them. The wise person is able to navigate through all of these obstacles on the road without flipping their car and hurting anybody. That's wisdom. Okay? Wisdom is applying God's knowledge and revelation to your life to be able to avoid falling in the pit, avoid crashing the car. Okay? Except we're not talking about crashing a car. We're talking about crashing your life. Why do some people ruin their life and others don't? The people that ruin their life didn't follow God's ways of wisdom. They did not follow heavenly wisdom. They followed human wisdom. Following God's ways is what this wisdom is all about. <clears throat> when you look at the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 1-7, okay, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. See, that, that takes us right back to James 1.1. That James says that he is what? A slave of God. He submitted himself to God. He respects God. He has reverential awe of God. He's going to listen to what God says. <coughs> Throughout the Bible, you see this idea of wisdom in many different ways. There's, there's multiple facets to it. In the Old Testament, you'll see the guys that built the tabernacle. They, they had wisdom in their skill or their trade. Okay, You can have wisdom in skill or trade. These are good gifts from God. You can have wisdom in your ability to have legislative or judicial um, type of administrative skills. Again, these are good gifts from God. You see both of these in the Bible. 
You also see in the Bible the, the more, you might call it the philosophical aspect, and that's simply applying, okay, what we learn, what we grasp from Scripture, all right? So you, you see the world externally, it's outside of you. Okay, God's word comes to you as well, externally. And then you have to internalize that and then live it out. And that's what we all have to do. That's the challenge that we all have. So this idea of wisdom, this applied knowledge, this discerning when to do this and when to do that. You know, the Proverbs say to answer a fool according to his folly. And the next verse says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. He's like, what? It's contradiction in the Bible. Got it. Bingo. No, there's no contradiction. Wisdom literature. You have to discern. You have to have wisdom to know when someone's mouthing off, do I reply to them or do I not? Sometimes you do. Sometimes you shut them down and rebuke them. Sometimes you don't bother because they're not going to listen. You've got to recognize. How do you recognize? James says you pray. You seek God for the wisdom. You can't just go in your flesh. You've got to seek God. That's what he's talking about here when he says... <clears throat> to pray, to seek God, this wisdom. But then he moves to this next part in verses 6 through 8, this fear versus doubt. And when you go to God, I know I'm not alone in this. How many of you pray to God, but then you're not sure he's going to give you what you're asking for? Uh-huh, yeah, right? Or you, you pray to God, but you really just don't even know how prayer works anyway. Or... You pray to God, and then you decide later that maybe you shouldn't have prayed for that. But then you decide later, well, no, I think I should pray for that, and you just bounce back and forth. You see, this, this is what James is talking about, okay? He says, so you, you're going to be this double-minded person. You're tossed back and forth. You're like the waves going all over the place. It's chaos. Now, here's where I need you to really zone in on what the Scripture says here, okay? Because... James is very clear about whether or not God will or will not answer you in this case. He says this. He says, if you lack wisdom, you ask God. But then he says, let him ask in faith in verse 6 without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 7, that person should not expect to receive anything, anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all of his ways. Now, this cuts right to the heart. This takes us all the way back to the first verses, that we've got to be completely surrendered to God. That we have to be completely bought into desiring his ways and not human ways. That we've got to be able to rejoice in these situations. And when he reveals something to us, we've got to be able to trust him and put it into practice, put it into place and do it. So, I don't know what problem you're going through right now in life. Came out of one, praise God. Get ready for another one. If you're not in one right now, well, you'll have one soon. What problem? You pray to God and you ask for wisdom of what to do. But th this is the, the clincher. Listen, I, I know what this is like. My wife and I know what this is like. There's stuff that we pray for, and the truth is, we doubt. And James just smacked us in the face, and he said, What? You ain't getting nothing, Kevin, because you doubt. Because you don't believe. Because you don't trust. Well, that's a little bit of a problem. So now you've got to back yourself up. And you really got to start over at square one. Which is why we sang some of these songs this morning. And we'll sing some of the similar ones next week. Because where is square one? Square one is, what is your view of God? See, the text says that he gives generously. In verse 5, he gives to all generously without criticizing, without holding back. Further on down in the text, we'll see that he is the father of all good gifts. But we don't, we don't believe that. We, we don't believe he's going to give us the good thing. We're not sure what to ask for. James will come back to this later on in his letter. But, guys, we we got to sit ourselves down for a minute and say... Am I doubting? When I, am, I, am I praying? Am I praying, God, you know, I need help on this. Give me some wisdom. Or, God, help, help me out of this situation. Here's what I know I need to do. Give me the boldness. Give me the courage. But then you finish praying it, and you're like, yeah, I don't know if he's going to or not. Well, if that's how you finish, 
Is he going to or is he not? He's not. He just said he's not. Because you what? You doubt it. You don't believe. See, here's the thing. We want to have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Either you doubt or you believe, but you don't do both. It's all in or it's not. That's what he's saying. So James isn't cutting you any slack with this. And so we got to evaluate ourselves. <coughs> Jesus says, the faith as small as a mustard seed can do what? Say to that mountain, be gone and move, right? You don't need a lot of faith. You just need your faith in the right place. You just need complete trust. Jesus says, jump, you jump. Here's the problem, guys. Most of us are still very much entrenched in human wisdom. Yep, most of us in this room have have come to Jesus. <clears throat> but the truth is, a lot of times, I'm not saying all the time, but a lot of times we slip into this mode where Jesus is just a backpack that we've added on. We just throw him on. And we don't, we don't live it out. It's not all of us. And there's times where we take the backpack and we drop it. We drop it all. You can't do that. Go back to verse 1. James, a what of Jesus, a slave, a servant, a bondservant, bought by the blood of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 6, no longer my own, I'm his, he's mine. What do we sing today? Good, good father. Is he? You know why people love that song? Because everybody wants a good, good father. Everybody wants someone that loves them and loves them and loves them. Everybody wants, when they've blown it, to have a big hug and be loved. It speaks to us. It speaks to our emotions. It speaks to our human need. James is saying, God is that good, good father. But you've got to trust him. You've got to trust him completely. You can't trust him just partway. You've got to trust him completely. He continues on in verse 9. He says, The brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation, but the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. The sun rises with a scorching heat, and it dries up the grass. The flower falls off, and the beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man is going to wither away while pursuing his activities. Now, this is a contrast that's going to come up again later. This is a common thing that happens in, in the Bible. They introduce some things, and they talk about them more in, in depth or in detail later on in another chapter, another paragraph. Okay, so, so here James brings up two groups of people. What are the two groups of people? The what and the what? Yeah. The poor and the rich. Exactly. The poor and the rich. Now, if you don't think the Bible says much about the poor and the rich, you need to go reread the Bible. The Bible says a ton about the poor and the rich. Now, most of the time, which one is God helping? The poor. The poor. I probably could have said all the time, but I haven't checked every verse, so I didn't want to misspeak. So most of the time, God is helping the poor. The poor cry out, and God hears their cry, and he helps them. Who does Jesus rebuke, the rich or the poor? He rebukes. That means he says bad things to. The rich. Yes, he rebukes the rich. All through the scriptures. The poor are connected with several things in scripture. The poor are connected oftentimes with not having money. Okay. And the poor people, if you don't have money, you also usually don't have any power. And if you don't have money and power, you're often oppressed by those who do have money and power. So why does God and Jesus so much um, rail against the rich because they have the means to help the poor, but they don't. Instead, they oppress the poor and make their lives worse. You see, the rich don't need any more help. They have power. They have influence. They have the means. And they want the status quo. But the poor, they don't have the means. They don't have the power. They don't have the money. And so... This has been a common thing 
for probably all of history. You can get stats on it in our 21st century. What group of people more likely come to follow Jesus, the poor or the rich? The poor do. And here's the thing. It's not just the physical poverty. They don't have money. You see, poor people tend to be more humble. It's not always true. There's very arrogant, proud poor people, okay? But they tend to be. Yes, sir? Amen. Why is that? Because when you're poor, you realize you don't have anything. And so if you're going to get anything or if anybody's going to help you, where does it come from? God, okay? That's why so many poor people, that's why so many homeless people, that's why so many people you meet will, will talk about God. Be like, what? They know God? Yeah, because they got nobody else to help them. Who do they cry out to all day? God. Now the rich, on the other hand, they don't think they need God's help. They got money, they got credit cards, they got wheels, they got insurance. What do they need God for? But see, here's what James is saying. Don't you be deceived. Because guess what? You see those beautiful flowers in the field? What happens when the sun comes up and scorches them and dries them out and they don't get the rain they need? Boom, gone. And what's going to happen to you? Boom, gone. And are you taking all that stuff with you? No, it's boom, gone too. And when you face the judge, the king of the universe, when you face God, when you face Jesus, is all your money going to help you? No. Are all your lawyer friends going to help you? No. None of it's going to help you. And he doesn't take Visa or MasterCard or Discover American Express. So that ain't going to help you either. So, <clears throat> James says, we need to reevaluate. He's writing to people that have been scattered all over. Are there poor and rich in the churches? Yeah. We'll see later in the chapter how they show such favoritism. Even you young kids right here. If I was to ask you... <coughs> The majority of you, if I was to say, if a poor person was to walk through that door and a rich person was to walk through that door, which one do you want sitting at your table? And, yeah, if you say that today because we're talking about it, the majority of you in a regular day would actually say the same as most adults and you would say the rich man. Okay? And if the poor man was smelly, human wisdom, we look at what people can do for us, we look at how we can be influenced or influential with, <laughs> and so we want the man that's got the connections. We want a powerful man. We want the rich man. And what we've forgotten is we've forgotten the wisdom of God. We've forgotten the ways of God. When God wants to clear a path, he'll clear a path. I watched... Um, Woodlawn this past weekend. We, have, we try to have family time every weekend. We watch uh, usually Friday nights, pizza and a movie night. And so <clears throat> we watched Woodlawn this past weekend. And um, I, don't, I don't know enough about the, the backgrounds based on a true story. I don't know how accurate the movie is or isn't. But the, the bottom line obviously has to have some accuracy to it or the movie would have been you know, no good. Um, <clears throat> the, the whole thing in the movie is how Jesus changes people. You want to overcome racism? Jesus. Jesus overcomes racism. Because love overcomes racism. You want to overcome the, the divide between poor and rich? Jesus overcomes that. Which is why it can't be in our churches. Because it's evil. It's demonic. It's human, not heavenly. It's got to go. <clears throat> That's what James is getting at. So if you want to be bragging... Okay? You want to boast, you want to brag. All right? He says, don't be bragging about what you have. Don't be bragging about your wealth and your riches. Don't be bragging about all these different things. Okay? You want to brag, you brag in the Lord because the flowers and the riches are going bye-bye. And after the flowers and the riches go bye-bye, what's going to happen? You're going to meet up with God. So if you are poor, here's what you brag in. Here's what you boast in. Okay? You boast in the fact that you know who? God. Because though you were humble, you were low, God, when you had your sins forgiven, you enter God's kingdom, you 
have been taken from low places to high places. You have been exalted up to be seated in the heavenlies, the scripture says. You're part of God's family. You will be in God's kingdom. Whereas the rich man, though he is high now, he will be brought where? He will be brought low, like the flowers who die and go into the ground. He too will go into the ground. So it doesn't matter about your wealth and your riches. It doesn't matter about your power and your position. What matters is whether or not you know God. And if you know God, then even in your messed up, problematic situation, what is James saying? We pray and we trust God. We go back to the very couple first verses. We rejoice in our situation because God is doing what in us? To make us complete and mature, lacking nothing. That's what he's doing. Can you believe that? Can you believe that when your situation is all problematic? That's what he's asking us to do. That's what he's asking us to do. We continue on in our text this morning, and we move on past verses 9 through 11, and we get to verse number 12. 12 through 18, the last portion that we're going to cover today. It says, a man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. Actually, that part we're going to end up grasp, uh, getting into next week. So the good gifts part we'll, we'll do next week. This part here on temptation, though, we're going to dig into right now. So when James gets into this aspect of temptation, okay, and verse number 12 here, all right, the testing of your faith and the tempting, okay, or temptation that occurs in your life, we need to understand a little bit of a difference between <clears throat> testing and temptation, all right? So the goal is for you to get approved, right? Why? Because when you get approved, when you finish the test, he offers you the what? Crown of life. Why do you run a race? To win the prize. Why do you compete in a competition? To win the prize, the gold medal, the trophy, whatever. Okay? Well, guess what? God has prizes too. It's the crown of life. But if you quit before completing, do you get the crown of life? No, you don't. That's why... Quitters don't win. Okay? And winners don't quit. So you got to keep on, all right? So the testing, the steadfastness, the endurance, the perseverance brings completeness. You have to persevere, right? You pray, but you got to persevere. As you persevere, God does this work in you. But verse 13 says, these temptations show up. And here is where, it's been popularized a long time ago, the whole phrase, the devil made me do it. All right, big lie. Now, <coughs> you need to understand what happens with temptation. So there you are in this situation, okay? You're tempted to go do some sin. You're calling out to God, help me, help me, right? You're praying. We learned that in the previous verses, right? You're asking for wisdom. <coughs> and then maybe, unfortunately... You sin. Well, did God fail you? Did, no. did he not give you wisdom? I mean, what just happened here? This isn't how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be able to get through the situation and get that prize, get that crown, become that jewel. Well, the first idea of testing that was in the first few verses, okay, that is a test 
that you are supposed to pass, okay? Your teachers give you tests, right? I said this last week, right? You're really supposed to pass them. They don't give them to you to fail. When you pass them, it means you succeeded and you can do what? Move to the next level, okay? There's a lot of you that try to play video games in here, right? How do you get to the next level? You first have to pass the current one, right? You gotta pass this level to get to the next level, all right? It's the same type of thing. When, when God tested Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, what was he doing? He was seeing if Abraham was finally at the point where he would have mature faith and com co could completely trust God. You see, up to this point, Abraham had not completely trusted God. He was supposed to have a kid. When he didn't have his kid, eventually, what did he do? He found another woman to have a kid with and said, oh, see, we have a kid. And God's like, oh, no, boy. That's not what I said. I said, you and Sarah will have a kid, not you and Hagar. <laughs> So this, in chapter 22 of Genesis, is God putting Abraham to the test. Now, was anybody supposed to die in this test? No. no. What's supposed to happen? Both Abraham and Isaac are supposed to come out on the other side. The testing is going to prove Abraham's trustworthiness of God. Now, elsewhere in Scripture, the Queen of Sheba comes to visit King Solomon. comes and she tests him. What do you mean she tests him? She asks him all these questions. She wants to know if he really is smart, if he really does have wisdom. Do you know how to use knowledge to apply to this situation? What about this situation? What about this situation? And Solomon passes the test. What does that prove? It proves he really does have wisdom. Okay, so these tests, okay, are for you to get passed. Okay? It proves that you actually have it. Now this verse in James 1, 13 and 14, that's not what we're talking about. Okay? God's not sending you a test. In James 1, 13 and 14 and following, it's something else. This comes from somewhere else. Okay? You look at the verse 14. There's another visual for that. Okay? <clears throat> My own desires. Now here's what you've got to understand. In this passage, here's what's going on. James is saying that you get tempted because of not a test from God, but a temptation from within you. Yeah. See, here's the deal. Okay? Who likes Skittles in here? Uh-huh. Yeah, I picked a good one, right? Yeah, so if I brought out a wheelbarrow, do you know what a wheelbarrow is? Yes, a wheelbarrow? Okay, it's like... Half as big as this table, and it's got wheels on it. It's a barrel, barrel on wheels, kind of, and two handles to push it, okay? So imagine half of this table, okay, but it's this deep on wheels, and it's filled with Skittles. And if I roll that right up here in the middle of this room, okay, how long is it going to take before you are in that bucket eating Skittles? One second. text says, okay? Watch the text for just a minute, okay? He says this. He says, no one undergoing a trial should say I'm being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil. He himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person, here you go, watch, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires.
Ashley's responsible for controlling Ashley's wants. Okay, so when Destiny sees that wheelbarrow full of Skittles, Destiny has to decide whether she's going to stay in her seat or whether she's going to jump in the wheelbarrow of Skittles. Is it God's fault if she jumps in the wheelbarrow? Is it the devil's fault? No. Whose fault? Her fault. Her fault. Now, Gary's still back there in his seat. He's like, control your desire. Okay? Watch again. When you're tempted, you're drawn away and enticed by your own evil desire. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully drawn, it gives birth to death. I call this LSD kills. Okay? LSD kills. Why? Because lust is desire. It gives birth to sin, one thing. You get sick. I guess you could die if you ate too many. But James has more serious things in mind. Yes, you, you need to control your food, etc. But James has some more serious things in mind. James is talking about you becoming a complete Christian. A complete Christian. And so if you're going to become a complete Christian, guess what you cannot do, guys? No, you're supposed to live. What you cannot do is just do anything that you want. Because want is the same as desire. And you sin, which leads to death, when you just give in to whatever you want for desire. If you're only following your desires, then are you a servant of God? No. no, you're not. You're not a servant of God. Okay? So James wants us to get our lives in order so that we can be a complete and mature Christian. Let me close with a verse from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 from the Apostle Paul. This is one of my favorite verses, one of the first verses I ever memorized. on the screen. It says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, when he uses the word flesh here, that's the same as what James is talking about. It's your human desire. Okay? Okay? What he's saying is this. There's two ways. That's funny. Isn't that what James said? Two ways. Isn't that what Proverbs 1 says? Two ways. Yep. Isn't that what Jesus says? Two ways. Yep. Only one way to heaven, but there's two ways you can choose to live, right? Now, you got the heavenly or you got the human way. Alright? Here's what Paul says. The, the one 
determine the outcome. Same thing that James says. So if you sin, it's because you follow human or heavenly wisdom. Which one? Human. Every single time you sin, you follow human wisdom. The way to not sin is to follow heavenly wisdom. Okay? Which takes us back to the whole fact that we can put the problem in what we want to do. And James says you should do what to get the right wisdom? You should pray. Okay? Now, for Sean, you've answered a lot of good, right answers today. So I'm going to say something to you. Alright? That's awesome because that means you know a lot of the right answers and what God wants. Now, remember what I said earlier. That's knowledge. Wisdom is when you take it and you live it out. So this week, I want you to be very careful about the decisions you make. Alright? And all that good stuff you know, you got to be careful and make sure you actually do it at school, at home, everywhere. You all with me on this? So you want to be a complete, mature Christian? <clears throat> Prepare yourself. Get those right attitudes. Submit to God. Rejoice. Okay? And then you need to look at what we talked about today. And this last part... And this last part about persevering, okay, is what is crucial. When you do mess up, guys, 1 John 1.9 is your verse, okay? You confess to God, and he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, all right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word from James. I thank you that though he didn't believe while you were alive, he believed after. I thank you that you're patient with him and with us. I thank you, God, that we can come to you. Forgive us for doubting. Help us to be people of faith that will completely trust you and trust your ways. That we will choose the heavenly way and not the human way. That we would help build each other up in this way. That in our problems or if we're persecuted, Lord, that we would trust you that we would know that you're making us stronger and we would stick with it, knowing that winners don't quit and quitters don't win. We would persevere, God. We would pray, God, asking for wisdom. Thank you. In Jesus' name.